Welcome to Straight Talk for Real Life, produced by Hewlett Packard Enterprise. In this special episode, in recognition of Veterans Day, we salute those of you who have served in the armed forces all over the world. Today, we'll talk about how military training makes veterans so valuable to the workforce and to society. And we'll talk about the invisible wounds that can sometimes come with serving in the military, mental health issues caused by overwhelming stresses. And we'll explore how team members can support the veterans in our ranks. Listen in as we dedicate this special episode to the brave women and men who have done so much for all of us. Hello and welcome to Straight Talk for Real Life. I'm Bob Peacock. To those of you who are military veterans, active duty service members, National Guard members, reservists, or even a family member of a veteran, first of all, I just want to say a sincere thank you for your service. And yes, that includes the partners and family members. This episode is for you. HPE has said it loudly and proudly. It is fully committed to hiring former service members. For the past seven years, we have been recognized as a top military-friendly employer. The skills that veterans bring to HPE, including teamwork, problem-solving, leadership, and discipline, are skills that every company desires and all of us who work with you admire and appreciate. Today, we have three guests. Joseph Mack and Todd Sullivan lead HPE's Veterans Employee Resource Network, or VERN. Todd served in the U.S. Navy from 1986 through 1991 in Operation Desert Shield and Operation Desert Storm as a dispersing clerk second class. Then he used the GI Bill to get his bachelor's degree. Joe Mack served for over 20 years in the U.S. Army as an attack helicopter maintenance and operations manager, among many other roles. He served in Iraq in Operation Iraqi Freedom and twice in Afghanistan during Operation Enduring Freedom. It's great to have a couple of actual team members from HPE on the episode. And I'm also honored to have Guy Strotter, who is a retired lieutenant colonel in the U.S. Army and who is now the owner of Revelations Counseling and Consulting in Stratford, Virginia, where, among his caseload, he frequently counsels military service members, veterans, and their families. Before Guy's retirement from the Army in 2006, he was Director of TRICARE Prime Operations, and before that he was the Senior Military Advisor to the Assistant Secretary of Defense in Health Affairs, where he assisted in strategic medical planning for Operations Enduring Freedom and Iraqi Freedom. He also served with the 82nd Airborne Division and commanded the largest medical company in the 18th Airborne Corps during Operations Desert Shield and Desert Storm. In 2007, Guy was invited to serve on the President's Commission on the Care of America's Returning Wounded Warriors. Gentlemen, it's an honor to have you here. Thank you so much for your service. As we get started, I'd like to level set first. You're going to hear a lot of statistics on today's episodes, mostly about U.S. military veterans. The statistics are representative of veterans as a group, but they may or may not describe the individual men and women who work beside us at HPE. 
I'd like to start by talking about some things veterans would want us to know about them. For example, I think it's safe to say that most veterans have a service mentality. Their drive-on attitude, no matter what, is the way they live their lives. They don't often take time out to focus on themselves, and I'm sure we'll talk more about how that figures into some of the issues we're going to be talking about today. We also need to keep in mind that not all veterans are male. Yes, in the U.S., 91% are, but 9% are female. And the number of female veterans is expected to double over the next 20 to 30 years. They'd also want us to know that not all of them served in combat, and some may not even identify as veterans. Veterans are a very diverse group, racially, age-wise, and ethnically. And despite what you see on TV and in the movies, not all veterans have PTSD. I'd like to ask Joe and Todd first, what else do you think veterans would want us to know about them? Joe, you want to start? Sure. I would say, um, you know, to let veterans know that we're all unique uh, in our own way. Um, Everyone's experience is different. Um, And so, you know, as we move forward in whatever organization we're in, um, the challenge or what might be the goal is to um, allow others to understand that uh, those unique experiences affect us all differently and we can't necessarily be all thrown into one jar. Um, I know that's, that's something that I tend to uh, try to get across to most of the people I, I talk to, veterans and non-veterans alike. Todd, what would you add? Uh, I think uh, one of the things that uh, what I leverage with when I'm engaging with veterans is knowing that uh, that that mission first uh, attitude um, is something that uh, I enjoy because, uh, you know, when when you're focused, uh, that discipline that they have is something that uh, is it's fun because uh, you can rely on veterans, I think, to a certain extent. at least veteran to veteran, um, and it's something that even as civilians that they can as well. You you can use that to uh, help the team be stronger. That whatever the event is or the effort is that you're working on. What are some of those things that we may not understand as civilians? Some of those things that maybe we we say you know Happy Memorial Day. Um, and I know that's a pet peeve of yours. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And I know it's coming from a, uh, perspective of they're, they're, they're trying to do the right thing. They're, they're trying to give recognition, but, uh, you know, a, as a veteran, uh, Memorial day is anything but happy. And, uh, it, it, for me, it's a day of reverence. It's a day of remembering our war dead. Uh, those that uh, men and women that have given up everything. So it's more of an opportunity to educate and recognize what that holiday really was meant for. Now that's it's a good reminder, Joe. What are some of the uh, characteristics that veterans develop in the military that make them such great employees? Um, well, Bob, you know, veterans they really come with a, a full package. Uh, resiliency, uh, management skills, uh, mental toughness, toughness, if you will, um, organizational skills, time management skills, you know, all these skills that they come with are extremely valuable to not only HPE, but 
a lot of organizations out there. We need to broaden our scope of the value that veterans bring to the table. What are some of the the things that you miss most about the service? For those of us who haven't been in the armed forces before, paint a picture of military life for me. For for me, Bob, I I would say that it's that common mission. It's uh, understanding uh, very clearly what uh, what in the military, a lot of times you hear what's called the commander's intent, which is what are we trying to do? What's our overall mission? Uh, whether whatever that exercise is or whatever it is that we're doing, uh, what's the focus? What's the intent? And everybody signs up, and it's uh, it, it's what we do, right? Is, is is to finish that effort. And I'll and I'll add, Bob. I know one of the things I miss definitely is is the camaraderie and the sense of brotherhood, the commonality of um, service and sacrifice that you share with those who are in uniform with you, especially in those uh, life-threatening situations um, and combat scenarios uh, where you you get support from one another and you're able to laugh about some of the most uncommon things. And uh, you really develop a sense of brotherhood and sisterhood and, and you learn from the vast array of individuals from different cultures that you share this experience with. I definitely miss that meeting different people, going to different places, um, not only on on this side of the uniform, but also in foreign countries where you meet uh, citizens of, of other countries. So talk about some of the, the stresses, too. One of the things that, that cause some of the stresses that, that create some of these issues? A lot of the stress is, is generated by the demand to perform. The military is a culture that tends to measure you not by what you didn't do, but what you achieved. So they're, they're going to remember your failures more than they're going to remember your successes because you're expected to succeed and perform and produce results. That's definitely one. The other is, of course, the environments that you find yourself in and the challenges that you face personally, not only in yourself, but in, um, in relations with other people. Todd, it sounds like you agree. Yeah, I do. And I, I guess I would even add that uh, I, I think that there's a lot of stress around environments that you're not in control of. Yeah, yeah. So tell me about the Veterans Resource Network at HPE. You know, in Vern, what we're trying to do is we're trying to promote a culture uh, of inclusion and diversity uh, for veterans and their family members. And, you know, also within the communities that are Uh, external to places we operate in. Um, Now, we do this by basically uh, influencing or supporting five pillars of improvement. Of course, that's people, community, uh, organization, advocacy, and education. Now, from a community perspective, um, we're trying to have outreach programs that that stimulate commitment to improve the world uh, we live in. And uh, we also want to provide some camaraderie among those who have served and also those who may not have served but desire to serve their community. We organize our efforts uh, to provide veterans with a voice uh, to show the value of having a workforce that is is truly uh, equitable to veterans. And, of course, we're always advocating for veterans and things that improve the life of veterans here at HPE. Uh, and we also want to provide our our company with solutions that that can uh, increase the value that HPE receives from the veteran population. 
And we want to educate folks internally and externally by having conversations like we're having now to talk about not only the challenges that veterans face, but also um, the skills they bring to HPE. Todd, what would you add? Uh, I think uh, one of the things that I, I enjoy about the uh, the Vern network is uh, is the uh, being able to reach out to everybody else and check in with everybody, right? I mean, the buddy check-ins that we do. The uh, you know we've even had some virtual happy hours, uh, given the the current pandemic and that stuff. But it, it's the check in. It's making sure everybody's okay and know that we care about each other, even if we served in different branches. We still care about each other. You never know when when a fellow veteran needs support or needs someone to talk to, and we're there for each other. We really are. And uh, Vern definitely stimulates that environment. I want to spend just a few minutes talking about the feelings that veterans have as they transition from military life to civilian life. There are some big cultural differences we've talked about uh, between military life and, and civilian life. And I understand those differences are even worse if you're serving in active duty. Yes. They can make the transitions even more mm-hmm. challenging. So according to Iran Corporation statistics that I saw, uh, out of 2.8 million service members who are deployed into active duty, 44% reported that it was difficult adjusting to civilian life. Uh, Up to 39% said that they had issues with alcohol dependence, and 47% said that they felt sudden outbursts of anger. Uh, You guys have been through that transition. What makes it so difficult? Todd, let's start with you. Uh, for me, the uh, the transition, I, I got out of the Navy right at the end of Desert Shield, Desert Storm. And uh, I immediately went right into college, into university uh, a few weeks later. The, the lack of structure was a little bit uh, disconcerting. Um, when you wake up every morning, you have muster and you have your plan of the day and you, you have your day scripted out for you to wake up and not have anything, you know, was, uh, okay, I've got to figure this out myself. I've got to come up with my own plan on how I'm going to do this and implement my own, uh, long-term plan, career plan, whatever. Uh, that wasn't easy. That wasn't easy. Joe, was it an easy transition for you? Do you remember those feelings? Very similar to Todd's experience. Uh, The lack of structure, being used to actually being given orders and carrying out those orders every day to an environment where, you know, (laughs) you may or may not get those instructions and you're expected to improvise. Um, it, It was a little challenging. And then, of course, you know, COVID-19 didn't help that, um, <laughs> but because it basically simulated the um, isolation in that we were in a remote situation. However, I began to uh, draw on some of the things that I used in the military to help with mental wellness. And that, of course, well, you know, for me, it's exercising, um, working out, uh, reading books, um, spending a lot of time with your family, those are the things that uh, helped my transition to be as successful as it was. I, I read statistics that, that showed that one in five 
veterans who served in combat said that they experienced post-traumatic stress disorder, insomnia, depression, and anxiety. There's also a heightened risk of unhealthy drug and alcohol use, and, and some even reported feelings of suicide. Guy, I want to I turn to you on this. Uh, now, we've already talked that not all service members served in combat or another trauma-inducing military occupation, but just the stressors of military life can still cause some behavioral health issues. Is that right? No, I think that's uh, that's absolutely right. In fact, um, it's interesting you point out about the uh, the stressors and not necessarily related with uh, combat tours. I know consistently within the DoD they have suicide. Uh, they they do their reports to assess annual suicide rates, and they can consistently find that about fifty percent of suicides occurred among service members who had never experienced a combat deployment. Even the Journal of the American Medical Association had a, uh, an article back in 2019 that suggested there was no clear link between combat operations and, and military um, suicide. But um, there, there are a num- number of factors, and, and Joe and Todd have done a, a great job at uh, describing those al- already. But uh, a military lifestyle, even when combat deployments aren't, Part of a service member's experience are going to be challenging. Uh, you're generally not residing close to your family support network because of where your assignments are at different installations. Uh, you're not close to your childhood support, social support network. There are a number of relocations. Um, my wife and I used to joke around that the kids would come home and say, hey, I made a new friend today. Yeah, well, it's time to move. So, uh, um, so even when you're not deploying on contingency operations, there's individual training, there's field training exercises, other events where the family is not regularly intact and those support networks I just mentioned are not there for the uh, for the family system. And that um, creates tension within the family upon uh, return, either from training or contingency operations. And sort of the core of all this goes back to what I heard Joe say earlier, just about mentioning failures. Everything about being in military service is about challenging ourselves for excellence and, and being the best possible version of ourselves. We go, you know, regularly checked on, you know, our physical fitness with PT tests and at the range and on training that we go to specialize in whatever technical competency we have. And we have an expectation on ourselves that, you know, we're going to be zero defects at the, uh, the individual level. What are some of the behavioral health issues that you see in your practice? So our practice is only about four miles from the training base gate for Quantico. So I'll tell you, we, we see and specialize in seeing a lot of military veteran and their families, as well as some other high occupational risk family systems that are involved in law enforcement, intelligent fire and rescue. So we, we tend to look for um, those populations because we, we specialize in uh, in the kind of stress that, that uh, occurs within those family systems. And so post-traumatic stress is certainly a, a common theme. Uh, substance use issues are regularly comorbid or co-occurring with that diagnosis. In fact, I, I talked with some of my service members even as I was preparing for this, Bob, and they, um, um, they wanted uh, people to know that, yeah, substance use is one of those things that's just exacerbating the, uh, the stress. And they didn't even have a recognition that, even though they were using those substances to uh, to help them sleep or or just to deal with um, uh, with the anxieties and the the symptomology associated with PTSD, 
that they want people to understand that that you know, that's not a solution. Um, we often talked about um, PTSD and substance use, but I also want to um, let you know that there are a lot of subclinical stress disorders and adjustment disorders that are associated with relational and family issues that we see a lot of. And believe it or not, there's a lot of social anxiety disorder. Avoidance is one of those aspects of PTSD that even if you don't meet all the criteria for it, um, you know, veterans won't necessarily want to be in public places. Uh, depression is also a part of that. And I'll tell you, too, that in the year of COVID, uh, I think that also deeply affected both pre and adolescent children. And there was a significant increase in suicidal ideation, even attempts among children uh, and children that are in military families when they're already stressed with all the things that, uh, that I've already mentioned. Well, let's take a deeper dive into to some of the, these issues. The The film industry would have us think that all veterans have PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. <laughs> Obviously, that's not true. Still, one in five U.S. veterans of Iraq and Afghanistan say they have experienced some PTSD or major depression. What is PTSD and how common is it? So, in the so you're correct that um, one in five. Although studies vary, it's between eleven and twenty percent of the most recent studies and studies going all the way back. I would say to about two thousand seven, or with the onset of Iraqi um, freedom and Operation Enduring Freedom. Um, but ultimately, it's a constellation of disorders that have, or a constellation of symptomology. I would say around a life-threatening event either one that you experienced personally or it could have been something that you witnessed. In some occasions, it's just a, it's hearing about uh, somebody that you were close to and, uh, and, and hearing or, or uh, witnessing the event from, from a distance. Uh, but ultimately, it's a traumatic event that then creates symptomologies of either, uh, first of all, avoidance, either avoidance of the, uh, the circumstances that can actually trigger or remind you of the original, uh, of the originating uh, traumatic event. Um, there's hypervigilance, so you hear people talk about uh, a, a heightened sense of emotional uh, reactivity. Um, there is um, negative cognitions of self. You start to, uh, you know, uh, you basically attach whatever that life-threatening event with some sort of meaning and everything that tells you a lesser story about yourself, or it goes back to what we were talking about early about having uh, um, failed. And then there's just the intrusive thinking. And the intrusive thinking uh, is the one thing that you want to focus on early when you're beginning to work with a case of post-traumatic stress, because those are the meaning that you, you have, have given to that life-threatening event, to that loss that you've experienced. Mm -hmm. it, Guy, I would also like to mention, I, I thought it's interesting you, you talked about avoidance. Uh, there are certain things that, to this day, I still avoid uh, that uh, I was exposed to in the service. I, I don't feel like I have PTSD by definition, but I certainly there there are you know there's things that happen that you avoid those things in the future, right? It's just uncomfortable. It's absolutely true, and and some people, I mean, I can tell you even today, I'm I'm 15, 16, 15 years retired now. There are certain smells, certain. Uh, I will tell you some of the more recent events that happened in Afghanistan um, triggered some things with me that I haven't felt in a long time. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that they ever fully go away. The real issue behind it all is, you know, is your symptomology become impairing for you? Impairing in your social relationships, relational 
in your occupation and academic pursuits, anything that's sort of in your macro environment where you want to be successful. I will tell you, I don't think that you will ever ring out entirely the hypervigilance of service members that have basically been taught for most of their military career. You've always got to be ready. You've always got to be prepared to respond to something. And so that's not necessarily a bad thing unless it's, you know, pretty uh, seriously affecting sleep and things like that. Yeah. You know, Guy, personally, uh, I applied that uh, always being ready in my business world uh, to my role that I'm in and, and helping me ensure that I'm ready for the next evolution or the next uh, meeting or whatever it is. So I, I took that and I molded it to the environment that I'm in now. Yeah, absolutely. But I will add to it, too. The military does a tremendous job and it's purposeful about the work that we do in order to um, uh, to protect ourselves, to compartmentalize so that we can continue on with an mission. And that's one of the stressors, I think, that happens with a family when a military service member comes back and they've had that, uh, that kind of experience. Um, they've learned how to try to remove emotion from, uh, you know, from their daily life. And that permits them to continue to compartmentalize whatever that original, um, that original trauma was, whatever originated. And that doesn't really do too well with the family system once, uh, once you've returned home and you find yourself being less emotive because any kind of exploration of that emotive identity or that emotional uh, self um, creates a re-triggering of where you've been before. And you honestly don't want to go where you've been before. Is it treatable? Uh, it's uh, absolutely. Um, it's absolutely treatable. In fact, uh, I will say that millions of dollars haven't been spent on the clinical guidelines for treatment and partnership between the VA and the DOD. It's been money well spent. The protocols are effective. It just requires clinicians who are willing to be trained in those protocols, learn them and follow them. Um, the most effective of those, um, at least by the National Academy of Science uh, and the Institute of Medicine, has been cognitive processing therapy and prolonged exposure techniques, both of which are, are very effective. Let's talk about depression and anxiety. Uh, everybody has their good days and their bad days, and I'd guess that many veterans dismiss their feelings of being sad or, or stress, um, and maybe they even try to self-medicate with things like alcohol or drugs. At what point should someone seek professional help? So I will tell you that it's it's difficult to assess, you know, on on specifically anxiety um, with service members because it's been so conflated with PTSD symptomology in the research. And um, but there are subclinical cases of PTSD that often present as dis disorders with a mix of anxiety and depressogenic uh, symptoms. Um, when there are challenges with a life event, there's just less resiliency due to some of the previous unresolved uh, uh, issues. But when you ask when should somebody seek professional help, um, I'd say that um, it's interesting, but usually the person that's suffering those symptoms may be the last to recognize just how much it is affecting their lives and the lives that, that are around them, uh, the people that are most important to them. When it begins to affect the, as I mentioned earlier, the family, uh, social constructs, uh, friendships, your occupation or academic pursuits, then it needs to be recognized it's an impairment. Um, depression usually results in a dramatic change in your sleep and your eating. And the therapeutic term for it is anhedonia, which means 
you don't really enjoy doing all the things that you used to enjoy in the past. And when anhedonia and any suicidal ideation start to present, it's time to see a physician and likely a, a clinical therapist. And I do just want to add too that anxiety tends to affect sleep, which also brings on those subsequent consequences. And when it begins anxiety, whether it's PTSD or just adjustment disorders, it starts to rise to panic, near panic levels where you find yourselves overwhelmed, even with a sense of doom in certain circumstances, hyperventilating. I've even had service members who talk about getting up in the morning and feeling like they've got dry heaves and they don't even understand why it is. Um, but it's an exaggeration of the consequences of whatever you're, you're dealing with right in that moment. It's time for you to seek some assistance. I think there's probably people who are listening who are, they either know or they're living with a veteran who is going through these kind of bouts of serious depression. Um, what can you do as a spouse or a friend to convince someone to get help? We as veterans always want to say, I can fix my own issues. I, I don't want anybody to see me less than I am. I can always soldier on, as you said, drive on. But it does have, you know, I refer to it, and there's not a lot of research on this, but it's pretty apparent with most therapists who work with PTSD about secondary transmission effects of PTSD. If there are explosive, if there are outbursts, punching of walls, um, just the irritability that, you know, didn't seem predictable to the family, it just sort of, it sort of happens. I encourage spouses, family members to assist their veterans with treatment-seeking behaviors. They may not feel motivated to seek this care for themselves, but if you're willing to do the pre-work for them, um, then approach them with dignity and respect, expressing your care for them as a hero deserving the opportunity for the assistance they need, um, then I, I think that that is the, the, the best approach forward. I tell military spouses who call me who are trying to convince their service member to come in to, to begin work with me or with one of the therapists in our practice so that you at least have some psychoeducation about this. You know how to respond to it. Um, uh, you know how to respond to it more, more effectively. I will say, too, that um, I, I, I love the Vet Advisor model, but these peer-to-peer -peer contact centers, um, they're not necessarily clinical therapy, but, man, they are a tremendous resource for veterans who may not want to medicalize their problem, for lack of a better term, but um, they can talk with somebody who can meet them where they're at. They know the places they've been. They speak in the language that they speak, and they normalize it. I, it it's really important for me to, to help everybody understand most veterans feel like the first aspect is that they have, and I've heard this term before, lost their tribe. They don't feel like they belong. They've lost their identity in many respects, and they know that they feel broken, and they just don't feel like they can... Um, they can engage with others to help them get through that brokenness. So they find themselves being very alone. That loneliness then leads to a loss within the family role they've had. Remember, they go off on training, deployments, contingencies. They come home, and they don't fit there anymore. Um, the, uh, the, 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 the spouse has, has had to accommodate that loss. And so the children in that family are responding to the spouse. So I come home, and maybe I you know, commanded a, uh, a company of 200 people or 200 soldiers, Marines or whatever it is. But when I come home, I don't even command my own family. Those losses continue to aggregate. And it's very important for the social network around them to recognize when they're not the best version of themselves to, um, 
to reach out, get some assistance on their own so they know how to, to, to respond to it, and then encourage with dignity and respect for their, uh, um, their service member to, uh, to go to one of those places where they can get that assistance. You mentioned Vet Advisor. It's one of the solutions that HPE offers to its veterans. Tell me about Vet Advisor. What is it? What kind of help can it provide? So Vet Advisor is a um, an employee assistance program that's built within the larger service offerings for EAP for their employers, but more specifically, just to point to and provide people who have an understanding about veteran issues, whether it's in their their career transition work. Even on health and fitness, uh, smoking cessation, the other, uh, you know, um, uh, inappropriate substance use, it is um, designed to meet the veteran where they're at and specifically designed to, you um, know, for that military culture. Um, so I, in many ways, I think it is like the, uh, the, the, the peer-to-peer contact center work that I've mentioned before, which every study has found to, is immensely effective. VetAdvisor serves that capacity there to help the the veteran continue to be the best version of themselves when they are going through those struggles that have to do with transitioning into the corporate world. I I have heard from one of uh, the the guys in the Vern group, and he's using uh, VetAdvisor as his personal coach, just as a more of a life coach, uh, uh, and how to be more effective in his job and the role that he has within HPE. So I've heard good things. That's terrific. I would think that expertise in what uh, a soldier has been through has got to be comforting for both the patient and, and the, the advisor. I'm sure that that a lot of veterans come back and they think no clinician, no psychiatrist who hasn't been through military could understand what I've been through. No, that's a, that, that's exactly right. And I will, I will tell you, um, it's not just about, you know, doesn't know what I've been through. When they're transitioning back into the, the corporate world. I mean, I, I was listening to uh, Joe and Todd when they were talking about their own transition back. One of the first things that's hard for you transitioning to the corporate world is you're trying to find a place that you're going to invest yourself in that um, will give you the same sense of purpose that you had in military service. And that's just going to be a very hard thing to do. Um, I also find things that in the corporate world, it's very much about your personal brand, right? But in the military, when you are coming out of the military and going to the corporate world, it's hard for you to even write a resume that will that, that you can express something that you accomplished on your own. Because in the military, we don't accomplish anything on our own. So it's both that, you know, the things that you've experienced, um, you know, in, in military service that may have been stress-inducing, that may have been extraordinarily traumatic. But it's also that aspect of moving from a culture where there really is this expectation that, You've got that war ethos of self-sacrifice and coming into the corporate world. It's becoming more about your individual brand. Although I would say most organizations love the, uh, the part of veterans that come in and really continue to focus more on the mission than they, they focus about how I'm moving up the corporate ladder, so to speak. I want to spend a few quick moments just talking about military families, the spouses, partners, and children. Guy, I know that you and your wife work together counseling families. Can you talk about that? Yeah, my wife and I now of 35 years, who uh, saw me through my 21 years of service, is actually my um, the, the co-principal of our practice. And actually, she's got a lot more experience than me, so she's the chief of clinical services for our business. And uh, 
I am consistently telling uh, when we work in therapy with uh, with military families to to never diminish the uh, the role of the spouse. The spouse and the family have also served. Um, so I would encourage those who are out there who put their hand over their heart and look at a veteran and say, thank you for your service. If you hear it from a military spouse, give her the same deference, give her the same honor, because that is an incredibly uh, challenging role. That's one of the aspects of, of sacrifice of the military family that I don't people think people understand. There's this, you know, there's this aspect of service members when they are deploying that they've got the, the, I think about it in terms of this responsibility to be a noble savage, right? They go out there and they're expected to do violence and to do violence better than the enemies of, of this nation. And then they return back home and there's an expectation they can just flip a switch and suddenly they become, you know, this, uh, this perfect uh, family man. And I'm telling you that role of the spouse there to be able to recognize and respect and remind that service member who they are to them and continue to be that primary resource for them. Um, it's just, uh, I have just the greatest regard for military spouses, not only my own, but uh, all the ones that I get the honor of being able to uh, to work with here in our practice. Do veterans want their spouses to be a part of the support system? That veteran mindset, they don't want to be a burden to their families. So it's probably not unusual for veterans to not want their spouses to be a part of it. And that can be really uh, stressful for a spouse. Can you talk about that? You bet. Um, and I'm glad you brought it up, Bob, because one of the hardest things to get veterans to do is to pretend, permit their spouses into the world that's created distress for them. At some point in therapy, even if it doesn't turn to, to couples therapy uh, and it's about repair of the family system, I'm always bringing the spouse in or their significant other. If it's a girlfriend or a boyfriend, as you said, women are serving as well. And I'm seeing more and more of that as well. But at some point, I want to bring that significant other in and help them understand that he or she isn't fragile, that the, the spouse or the significant other isn't fragile. They want to be uh, invited into that space. They would rather be invited into that space than worry about them suffering in silence. I, I will tell you, I've gotten to the place where I want spouses to actually adopt the mantra. I, I know in the Army we use this all the time between friends that in combat environments we say, I've got your six, right? I've got your six means I've got your back. I've got you know the, the, uh, the three to six on the dial of the, uh, the watch that's watching behind you of that mantra of when their husbands are at a place where they feel like they're alone in all this, that those spouses will say, I've got your six as a reminder that they shouldn't be sidelined when it has to do with the service member's pain and the burden they're carrying. Uh, Joseph and Todd, I'm going to invite you back in. What are some tips that you would like to share on ways that we can better support the veterans at HPE? The first thing I would say we can do for veterans, the number one thing that we can do is listen. Right. And listen intently. Sometimes, you know, we need to be better listeners than we are speakers, because if we listen closely, we can hear um, things that we may not hear when we're focused on what we want to say. Um, that's number one. Number two is knowing the resources that are available, um, you know, and also understand that if you have the opportunity to speak to a veteran um, on a regular basis, that that is also an opportunity to be a resource yourself. And just to join Vern 
HPE, you know, support veterans by joining Vern and advocating for change in how our society thinks about the veteran community. In closing, I just would like to leave our veterans uh, with some practical tips. So uh, as anyone who listens to this broadcast knows, we say it all the time, it's okay to not be okay. Uh, if, if you're having any difficulties with the kinds of feelings or issues that we've talked about in this episode, what are some practical tips, things that uh, the three of you would want to leave with veterans, things that they should know and do? I would definitely say you're not alone. You're not alone. Um, your experience makes you unique, but you can go on and um, understand, know yourself, understand when you need help and get that help as soon as you recognize that. Uh, I, I like the idea, you know, joining the, the Veterans Employee Resource, Resource Network is a, uh, a good starting point as well uh, to connect with others that uh, are on the same mission, right? We, we're on the same team here. And uh, while that will, uh, that, that will help you uh, reestablish yourself in your career, potentially, with your job uh, and, and the work that you're doing. And Guy, I know that, that you work with veterans all the time. What are some, some tips that you would give to veterans? So I'll tell you the, 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 most, the, the best tip that I, can, um, that I can offer. And that is, uh, I mentioned earlier on about the, the loss of trot. If you feel like, um, you know, that things aren't going well within the family, your wife is telling you those sorts of things you're, you're experiencing in the work environment, there are just an innumerable um, uh, number of places that you can find that are self-help groups that are for that are designed for veterans. There are all sorts of resources that are available, and I'm not talking about suicide crisis lines. I'm talking about you rediscovering your tribe. In some ways, and at some point, even in my therapy work, I want guys to go to those that group work so that they can see that they are not alone within the struggles that they've had. And it does a tremendous amount of, it provides a tremendous amount of help in recovering from that loss that you've experienced, that loss that you are memorializing because of some fault that you feel. Don't ever forget in this stuff that when, when people talk about somebody losing their life, it always is seen as that fail point like Joe was referencing before. And somebody has to hold that failure. And what you find in that group work or in clinical work is you'll find that uh, generally that there wasn't a real fail point there that there are losses associated with combat operations and there's nothing that great soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines do to change some of those facts. There's nothing surgical about it. There's nothing perfect about it. And being able to be in those groups, I think changes uh, things a lot. And, and I hope Bob, you don't mind. I just want to have one other really good news that's just emerged um, in, in the last month. And that is the, 20, the 2021 National Veteran Suicide Prevention Report actually found there was a 7.2% decrease in suicide among veterans from 2018 to 2019. The, the actual rate is the lowest rate that we've seen in suicide since 2007. I, it's just an amazing change in trajectory. And I do think it is because the, the Mission Act that opened up the, the VA community care networks, increasing accessibility uh, for veterans to get that care, there are resources available to you. 
I, I just, you know, implore guys out there, treat your, your issues that are going on with this psychological pain that you've got in the same way that you would if you had a knee or a back injury. There's been a trauma. There's been a, a wound there. And there is nothing that's weak or nothing that is um, 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 making you or, or suggesting that you have failed by getting that help that you need. It'll bring back the best version of yourself. You'll be built when broken and you'll be uh, you'll be exactly the uh, uh, the representation of the veteran that you wanted to be still holding that honor, still holding that valor that you had the day that you you departed service. Such great advice. Thank you so much, uh, first of all, for your service to our country. Thank you for your service to other veterans. And thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Yeah, my pleasure, Bob. I appreciate it. If you are a veteran or if you're a family member, we hope this episode has provided some helpful information. Please get the care you need and take care of each other. You're not alone. As we've talked about today, one valuable resource available is VetAdvisor. You can reach out to VetAdvisor through the U.S. Wellness page, or you can get to the EAP by searching Global Wellness from HPE Insider. HPE's Real Life Initiative continues to offer a wide range of options to help you cope with life, including our employee assistance program for both team members and your families. I hope you know by now that HPE is committed to supporting our team members, and there are many different resources that can help you get stronger as you continue your journey. If you're in the U.S., you'll find many of those useful wellness resources on HPE Wellness, and if you're outside the U.S., you'll find them on the Global Wellness page. My thanks again to today's guests, Joe Mack and Todd Sullivan from HPE and Guy Strotter from Revelations Counseling and Consulting in Stafford, Virginia. Until next time, take care and thank you for listening. Let's talk again soon.